Bible is a loop. Luke 24. Thanks so much for that song. What a reminder and what a blessing. Amen? And uh, I don't know about you that ministered to my heart today. And sometimes uh, we just need to be reminded of how good God is and how blessed that we are. And uh, what a great blessing that is. You know, if the only thing that we ever got to enjoy was salvation, and if uh, God never spoke to us again, if God never gave any direction in life again, uh, if God never gave any comfort or peace again, if all it was was just that moment of salvation, that'd be enough to know that God loved us for all of eternity. But yet the reality is that he goes so far beyond that, and we're so very blessed. And what a great blessing, what a great reminder uh, in song this morning. Luke chapter 24, and stand with me as you find your place, uh, if you will, there in verse number 44 is where we'll pick up reading. Luke chapter 24 and verse number 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer uh, suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for Scripture uh, in general, or just what a blessing to be able to hold in our hands the very words of God. Father, I pray today that you would take uh, this passage and that you would apply it to each of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give uh, the exact words that you would have said to portray the message and uh, to communicate the message that you have for your people today. And then, Lord, I pray that you would uh, help everything to be said in in just the right manner, just the right way. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help it to be a real blessing, a real help as we examine the risen Savior. We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Titled this message, Changed by a Risen Savior. And you know, when we really uh, come and contemplate our risen Savior, we can't help but have a life that is changed by that truth. Amen. And uh, what a joy, what a blessing it is. And sometimes if we're not careful, uh, at least as pastors, we can get in a habit of preaching and we refer to the risen Savior, but really focusing on the resurrection at Easter time and then kind of uh, the rest of the year. It's just uh, we're here and we're there and we're all over and certainly uh, there's other areas of application to make and things of that nature. Uh, But I don't ever want to get to the place where uh, it's only at Easter, a service or two or leading into Easter for a few weeks that we're looking at the fact of the resurrection and uh, our resurrected Savior. And what a joy, what a blessing uh, to be able to come and see some lives that were changed because of the fact of the risen Savior. And that's what we really want to focus in and uh, and kind of hone in on this morning uh, are these men and how their lives are changed and how it is that the fact of a resurrected Savior really changes our life on a day-to-day basis. And so uh, really, if you were to go back, and for the sake of time, we didn't read the whole chapter, but if you were to go back, you'd find the 
This chapter is uh, the ladies that came out to the, the sepulcher, and as they come, they're told, uh, why are you seeking Jesus? Why are you seeking him here? Why are you, and they said it. Why are you seeking among the dead? And they said, don't you remember what he said to you? Don't you remember how he said that he would be turned over into the hands of wicked men? He would be slain. But three days later, he would rise again. And it says they remembered what he had said. And can you imagine at that point having an angel reminding you of what Jesus had said and, and, and all of uh, the ramifications of that maybe beginning to dawn on their minds? And, and they went back and told the apostles. And Peter, of course, ran down and he saw it. And he was uh, astonished. He was amazed. He was uh, not really sure, I think, maybe what to think of it exactly. And, and so so they're all trying to figure out exactly what's happening. And then a couple of men left and they went down, one of them Cleopas, and uh, they went down to uh, Emmaus and they're on that Emmaus road and Jesus came. That's all in this chapter. It's an incredible chapter. And, and Jesus began to speak with them and he began to talk to them. Uh, and the Bible says uh, in verse number 32, uh, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way? And they, think about what he says here. They said, And while he opened to us the scriptures, the Bible says that as he was walking with them, that he went back to the Old Testament scriptures beginning at Moses and preached to them everything concerning himself. Could you imagine the author of the scripture? Could you imagine God himself walking with you down a road and explaining to you, this is what I meant by this, and this is what I meant by that. And uh, all just, just walking through all those Old Testament prophecies and scriptures and, 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 and opening it to them, opening their minds, but also opening the scripture and helping them understand uh, the pictures that were there and the prophecies that were there. And, and so all of this has been happening. And they said when he was doing that, now they've understood that he's Jesus, their eyes have been opened and Jesus disappeared uh, after he broke the bread and prayed and gave it to him, and they realized who he was, and, and, and they said to each other, hear this, this verse, didn't our hearts burn within us because he was telling us the truths of the word of God, and he was applying them back to himself and, and giving us the full understanding of what was there, and then they jumped up from uh, apparently the dinner table, doesn't even tell us they ate the bread, I don't know if they ate it on the run, I don't know if they just got so excited they forgot about dinner, uh, but they jumped up, and in essence, they ran as fast as they could back over to Jerusalem, and they said, hey, guess who we were just talking to? That's my version. It's not actually in the text that way. And uh, they, they laid it on. And so all this is happening. So you can imagine these, these apostles and, and uh, all that's taking place, all the emotion of a day like this, and uh, everything that's been happening, everything that's been taking place. And, and so that's all the background, really, that's kind of leading into verse number 44, as we find. These men came to this upper room. Now Jesus comes and joins now all of these apostles and all those who are there. And, uh, and he's speaking to them, and he is, uh, verse number 36, said that he stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. So he's here. He's telling them that he is himself, that he has bones. He says a ghost doesn't have bones. And uh, they're trying to figure out if he's really real or if this is just some image that they're seeing. And so then he asks for fish to be brought, and he eats in front of them, showing them that he has a real body, uh, has the ability to consume food and all these things. And so all this is shown to them. It's laid out for them. And then, uh, verse 42, they, they brought him the fish. He took it and ate before them. And so all of that leads us into our passage that we're focusing in on, beginning in verse 44. So now with that background, he said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. So he's saying, look, uh, remember before when I was here. Before all of this with the cross and before all this with the three days in the tomb and before I, the, the time of the resurrection, when I was with you before all that, 
This is what I was talking about. Wouldn't it be something to have the risen Savior standing and telling you? How did you, in essence, almost like, how did you not catch it? Don't you realize this is what I was talking about the whole time? And so he's going to open their minds. So he's going to help them to have understanding. Verse 45 says he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So it's interesting, verse 32, uh, on the Emmaus Road, he, uh, he opened to them the scriptures. Verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So uh, Jesus here, in this passage, now that the resurrection has taken place, he's opening the scriptures on multiple occasions. He's preaching himself, even from the Old Testament, to these uh, men with this Jewish mindset. He's helping them understand that he really is the Messiah. And this is all leading to this little meeting he's going to have with them in these final couple of minutes before he's going to return to heaven. And so uh, we see here in this passage, first of all, a revealed truth. A revealed truth. It says Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures in verse 45. But it tells us in verse 44 how he did that. It says, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written, and here's how he explains it, in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, to a Jewish person, they didn't have major prophets and the minor prophets and all those things as we might uh, sometimes delineate. What they would have is three categories of Old Testament Scripture, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And so Jesus is, in essence, saying to them here, or is saying to them here, look, the whole Old Testament was explaining this. The whole Old Testament was leading to this moment. All of that that was written before, of course we know uh, Peter said it was written for our learning. All of this was written for you to understand who the Messiah would be and for you to grasp the truths and the realities. So now he's revealing that truth to them. He's helping them to understand. He had spoken these things before he died. And they had ears to hear and they had eyes to see. Uh, remember there were times like uh, God told Isaiah that they would, uh, they would not have ears to hear and eyes to see. That he would preach but nobody would want to listen. Nobody would be paying attention. But these men had. Even before Jesus died, while he was walking with them, he, he explained some things to them, and they wanted to understand, and they asked questions, and, and they were paying attention, and they were listening to what he was saying. And, and so there was, uh, there was some of that. There was a laboring to understand, but their understanding was not fully opened up. It wasn't that they lacked a willingness, but, but God had yet, not yet enlightened them on all these things, because it wasn't the time. But now Jesus is saying, now your understanding is open. Now it's the time for you to fully grasp all of this. And before uh, he went to the cross, they, they couldn't fully understand how a man was going to die and how he was going to be fully dead and laid in a tomb and three days later be perfectly healthy. They couldn't grasp it. And, and they were willing, I think, but they just they didn't have the ability. Their, their minds were not uh, fully able to understand and grasp what was happening. But now Jesus, the risen Savior, opened their minds to comprehend what he'd been teaching to them all along. It's not a new teaching. It's not a new idea. But it's what he's been teaching all along. And, and you know, sometimes we uh, come back over something, and you might say, Pastor, well, we've heard this preach, and we've heard that preach. But you know why it comes back up over and over and over and over in Scripture? Because sometimes we miss stuff. <laughs> Did you ever hear somebody preach on a passage, and it helped to open your understanding in that passage, and you say, wow, I mean, that's so clear. It's right in the passage. How did I miss that for 40 years? <laughs> or how did I miss that for 10 years? 
I mean, I've read that passage 50 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, but I never saw that. And really, that's kind of what Jesus is doing with these men. He's sitting down with them and he's saying, listen, let me explain to you these things that I've been trying to help you grasp all along. And they're going, wow, we heard this. And we thought we had so much, but now he is opening it up to us in a manner that it's just never been opened up before. They're understanding they could grasp that which they've never been able to grasp before. What a wonderful truth that when he ascended back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit of God to take up residence in us. Why? Because he's no longer here to open up the understanding. And without God opening our understanding, we can't grasp what we need to grasp. Amen? So when Jesus went back, then he gave us something that he said was even better instead of himself. He gave us the Holy Spirit of God to take up residence in each one of us that are saved individually so that now the Holy Spirit of God is he who gives that understanding. John chapter 16 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and will show you Uh, will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So in other words, when he comes, he's going to give you that understanding and open your mind, open the understanding and open the scriptures and help you be able to grasp what the word of God says. Isn't it amazing uh, that God would love us so much as to give us the Holy Spirit of God to take residence in us so that we can have the understanding of the word of God. You know, it's really all him, amen? He's the one who wrote the word. He's the one who preserves the word. He's the one who gives it to us. He's the one then who gives us the understanding of salvation and draws us. And then when we respond and we receive Christ as our Savior, he's the one who gives us his own spirit so that his own spirit can help us to understand the word that he gave us. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with us, amen? All we have to be is a willing vessel. We have to have an understanding and receive Christ as Savior and, and jump in and labor and strive and understand. Uh, but it's God who does that work. It's an interesting thing. It says there in John chapter 16, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And then it says this, For he shall not speak of himself. Just a side note, if the emphasis of a church is the Holy Spirit, in other words, if uh, the, the emphasis is, well, we need to talk in tongues so we can be filled with the Spirit, or we need to bark like dogs to show that we're filled with the Spirit, or we need to have a laughing fit to show that we're filled with the Spirit. Uh, if the emphasis is just the Holy Spirit, then that's really not from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't talk of himself, he points back to Jesus. And that's always the case, and God tells us that right here. And, and so... We can have an emphasis in the sense of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, and understanding the Word of God and what God teaches about the Holy Spirit, but the emphasis will never be having some weird laughing fit or talking in some weird gibberish uh, because of the Holy Spirit wanting some kind of glory. No, 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 it always points back to Christ and uh, always about the Word of God. So we see a revealed truth. Jesus is the one who reveals it. And if we don't understand the realities, if we don't understand the truths of the Word of God, by the way, truth is that which is always the same no matter if anyone believes it or not. We live in a a world that says what's true for me is true for me and what's right for you is right for you and I determine my truth. 
Can I say, if you determine the truth, then it's really not true. Truth is true whether you believe it or not. Truth is true whether you give a set to it or not. Truth is true based on its own self. Truth is that which must be discovered. Truth is not that which we determine. And so uh, Jesus here says, look, I'm revealing to you the truth. You can decide to believe it or not, but this is the absolute truth of the word of God. And so Jesus reveals to them this truth. And then secondly, I see a rejuvenated excitement. So we cannot come to the place where our life has changed, even by the risen Savior, apart from the truth of the word of God. But if you're saved this morning and and you're here, then the reality is we ought to have a joy and an excitement And there ought to be something inside of us that is just uh, in love with God and thrilled and, and just filled with joy. And that's what these men had. But it all was based in the truth. It all came back to the word of God. It all came back to revealed truth being understood. That's the foundation. That's the baseline of everything. But once truth was understood, then we see a rejuvenated excitement. Uh, It was necessary, the Bible says here, for Jesus to suffer. It says, verse 46, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day. The word behooved here, it, it does not mean it benefited. The word behooved means it was unavoidably necessary. So Jesus says to them, all these things are written. And because all these things are written, thus it is written, verse 46, and thus, because of that, it was unavoidably necessary that Christ should suffer. Why was it unavoidably necessary? Because if he didn't suffer, then what was foretold and what was said was not true. And if it wasn't true, then there's no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, There's nothing upon which to found a true, solid life. So here's what he says. God, of course, is true. God does not ever lie. So therefore, because God said it, he said it in his word, some by the mouth of his prophets and in other manners in the Psalms and and, and just in the law, because God said it, because God established it, because God determined it, it behooved. It was unavoidably necessary. That the Christ would have to suffer because the word of God must be true. He did not command them uh, here, interestingly, to go and tell the world. Uh, Instead, look at what he says. It behooved him to suffer. So he had to suffer because it was written. And to rise from the dead the third day. Now notice the next part of this. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among, among all nations. So there's two reasons that it was unavoidably necessary that he had to suffer. Number one is because it was written and the truth had to be true. Number two, though, and we see it in verse 47, was that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. So he says, look, it was unavoidably necessary that this would be done so that the truth held, so that the word of God was proven accurate, but it was also unavoidably necessary so that the word of God would go forth in future generations, so that the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached and should be preached everywhere and by all. And so uh, he, he says here that it had to happen. It would behoved him. It was unavoidably necessary so the gospel would go. Isn't it interesting he doesn't stop there and say, by the way, men, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, he said that to them, but that's not here. And it's interesting that he doesn't say it here. It's not a command. He just says this is what should happen. 
This is why it behooved. This is why it was so necessary, was so that the gospel message would go forth. But he never commands them in this passage to take it forth. And and, and I began to wonder, why is it that he didn't tell them that they had to take it forth? Why didn't he here take advantage of this opportunity? And then I started thinking in this setting, as he is about to rise back into heaven, and we know that he's going to uh, the beginning of Acts, and before he rises, and it's all uh, right in this same story, before he rises, he's going to give them that final uh, direction and commission, and he's going to uh, lay it out for them exactly how it's supposed to work, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world. So he's going to do all that uh, as part of this conversation a little bit later. But in this moment of it, I I think the idea, and I think maybe the reason he doesn't go deeper into the command side of the this is because he knew they were going to carry that message. You think about these apostles, they carried the message on an incredible level. I mean, Thomas, he was doubting Thomas. Thomas came back and he put his hands uh, there in the holes and, uh, of, his, of his side and of his feet and all those things. And here's Thomas, the great doubter. Man, you look at Thomas the rest of his life. He walked by faith, and he did an incredible uh, job of carrying the gospel message. In fact, when we were in Sri Lanka a few years ago, the people there are very proud of the fact that they had the gospel before America had the gospel. You know who carried the gospel to them? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas lived by faith. He was uh, in, in much danger most of his life. He carried the message all through India, down into even Sri Lanka, all that region of the world. He took the gospel message and he began winning people to Christ and planting churches. And he did over there much what we read about Paul doing uh, in the, the Middle East here, in this part of the world, through the rest of, uh, of the book of Acts. And that which uh, men like John and Peter would do as they would go and give the gospel and be faithful to the word of God. And, and so here's a room filled with some men who are going to go out and really, I mean, even more than they already have, turn the world upside down, and they're going to make a great difference for Christ. I think the reason is this. How could they not tell about somebody that they knew personally who suffered immeasurably, who died unmistakably, and who then rose victoriously? That message had to be commanded for us to carry But I think probably these men, whether they were commanded or not, they were going to carry the message. Could you imagine, I mean, not just going and saying, I know Jesus personally and that he's my Savior. But could you imagine going and saying, look, there's this man I've spent the last few years with. And we thought he was God. And we thought that being God in the flesh, that he was the one who was going to be the redeemer of Israel. That's what they said to him on the Emmaus Road. We thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel, the one who was going to set us all free. And then he died. And we thought, there's no more hope. Everything that we've lived for, and everything that we've sold out for, and everything that we believed, and everything that that we had built our life on the last couple of years, 18 months to 24 months, everything we had established our being in, everything that we held dear, was all immediately gone. We had nothing left. We had already changed our religion and we really didn't want to go back because we saw that it was an old dead religion, but this one that we thought was the new and living way, he was dead. We didn't know what to do. Can you imagine going down through some area of the world and saying, and then Peter, he he was one of my friends. Peter said, well, I'm just going to go back to fishing, I guess. 
by then we'd kind of started figuring out something was going on, but, but we said, you know what, we're just going to go with you, Peter. Peter didn't think he'd probably ever be usable for God again, and I mean, we'd all messed up, we'd all failed, we'd all deserted him. Can you imagine telling the story of somebody who was there? And then we were out fishing one day. And there was this man on the shore, and he was just cooking up some fish. We don't even know exactly how he caught the fish, but he's sitting there cooking fish. And he yelled to us. He told us to cast the net on the other, and we pulled that net in. And then we realized, it's not just a man. That's the man we watched die. That's the man over there who met with us in that upper room. We were trying to figure out if he was a ghost. That's the man over there on the shore who's giving us another opportunity to serve him. And and I remember Peter, he jumped out in that water and he swam over there as fast as he could. And the rest of us rode in as fast as we could. And I remember Jesus dealing with Peter and his sin and and helping him with how to move forward. Man, I I remember how God, Jesus, told us that we were still able to be used for him. And and now I get to go and, and what I do with the rest of my life is I just go tell everybody about this friend of mine who died and he was buried, but then he rose again. And, and yes, he's God, but he's more than just God. He's my friend. He's somebody I spent time with. And, and, and it's an incredible thing. Do, would you like to have a relationship with him too? Can you imagine telling that story on a personal? How would you not tell that story? And so these men, they're going to go with this, this renewed excitement, this renewed zeal, because they know that he's the risen Savior. He is the living God. He is the one who every other that would ever die, we would, could go and visit their burial place. And you can go find the, the burial place of uh, Muhammad, and you can go find the burial place of all the others that were supposed to be something incredible or great prophets. But this one, there's no burial place that you're going to go and find his bones because his bones aren't there and his body he's not there and he's alive and well and he's sitting on the right hand of God the Father and this is the message they watched personally, they knew him personally and they're going to personally carry to the world. What a story. We get to tell the same story but we didn't walk with him on this earth for three and a half years. Can you imagine what it must have been like to carry that? There's a renewed excitement. And there's a renewed uh, zeal. This rejuvenated excitement in them is because they know exactly who Jesus is. And, and Jesus here didn't have to resend them. Rather, what he did have to do is hold them back. Look at verse number 49. He said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. That's reiterated then uh, when this, is, uh, this, this book is kind of tagged onto with the second book of the series in Acts. And uh, uh, that's where Acts begins, that he told them to wait there until that promise came. Uh, and so here we find these men that, uh, that Jesus is not having to say, make sure you go. Rather, he's, trying, he's having to say, now, now, slow down. Don't get out ahead of God's timing. Don't get out ahead of God's plan. First, you need to just wait until that time comes that you're empowered by God from on high. And and so if anything, they're having to be held back a little bit. They're chomping at the bit. They can't wait to go spread the message. They can't wait to tell everybody about Jesus and who he is and the fact that he rose from the dead. So we see this rejuvenated excitement. Uh, It was unavoidably necessary for the Savior to die. It was unavoidably necessary for him to spend those three days in the ground. But then it was also unavoidably necessary that he would rise again. 
And the thrill, the joy, the excitement that they had should be the same thrill and joy and excitement that we have as we go to carry the message because we may not have physically walked with him on this earth, but we do get to walk with him every day of our life if we're truly walking with God. And we do get to have a relationship with him and we do get to know him just as intimately and personally. And because of the Holy Spirit, uh, every bit as much so as those men did in the, the real sense, in a spiritual sense. And so we get to have this rejuvenated excitement. I get to carry the message of my friend named Jesus and tell everybody what he did. Yes, what he did 2,000 years ago, but also what he's done in my life personally. And so we see here that there's a revealed truth. We see there's a rejuvenated excitement as these men are excited and ready to go. And we, then we see there's a revived anticipation. They are anticipating what God is about to do. Just a short time ago, earlier in this chapter, in fact, the disciples of Jesus had no anticipation of the future whatsoever. They were merely attempting to survive the present. You ever been there? I mean, it's not... What might God do next year? It's how is God going to get me through today? How am I going to survive this moment? How am I going to get through what's happening right now? The, the anticipation of the future was lost. There was a time where they were saying, oh, we're going to go do some great things for God. I mean, it wasn't too long ago John was saying, hey, if there's somebody out there who doesn't agree exactly with us and doesn't do everything exactly how we should, should we call down fire from heaven on them and just blast them? You know, I mean, it's not too long ago they had this real confidence. It wasn't too long ago Peter was saying, oh, Lord, if all men deny thee, <laughs> yet will not I. I wouldn't turn my back. I wouldn't deny you, Lord. I'm with you. It wasn't too long ago they had this incredible confidence in themselves. Now they've realized confidence in myself didn't work. And I ended up in a place I never anticipated being. And now they've come to this spot where they thought they could never be shaken. They thought their faith was solid and secure and could never be thwarted in any way. But then they found themselves standing, staring at a stone in the mouth of a tomb. And they said, I don't know. This isn't the way we had it planned. And all of a sudden, the vision of the future and the anticipation of the future was gone, and they were just trying to figure out how to survive the present. Maybe today you say, Pastor, you know, 2020 has been a hard year. <laughs> Gone through this, or I've had that. This situation has come up. Maybe you say right now, uh, and it might be something that everyone would know about and the, uh, you know, what's going on in our country. It might be something you say, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I'm just dealing with some situations personally. But from time to time, we come to the place, it's hard to keep our eyes on what God may do rather than, God, how do I get through this? If you're not there today, the odds are we will be sometime in the next year, even if just for a short time. But maybe today you say, Pastor, that's where I'm living. How do I get through this week? How do I get through this day? How do I get through this moment of my life? And that's where these men were living. How do we survive losing our best friend who we thought was God, the redeemer of the world, who's now laying in a tomb and appears to be nothing more than just another prophet? How do we get through that? Maybe today you say, Pastor, I'm... 
I'm trying to figure out how to get through some things. I'm trying to figure out how to get through uh, this week. I think probably if these men were sitting around, we say 2020 is hard. And I've heard a lot of people say, wow, 2020 is such a crazy year. Somebody posted on a Facebook that I saw the other day a picture of a door out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And they said, any other year I might consider walking through the door. Um, this year, who knows what's over there? Uh, I mean, the reality is there's a lot of thought out there. This is the worst, hardest year ever. 2020's hard. But I wonder if these men weren't sitting around, and, and I don't think they knew it was one, but I wonder if they weren't sitting around going, man, the year one is hard. I mean, if this is how it's all going to start for this, this next you know, period of the calendar, the AD part, I mean, year one is difficult. There probably won't be another year this hard for at least the next 2020 years. I mean, the reality, this is a tough year. Maybe they said, I mean, everything that we had held to, everything that we thought, everything that was a, a, a big deal, everything that was part of what we believed, everything about us seems to have fallen apart this year. So where do we go? And what seemed to be the hardest, most difficult, worst situation of their life, now all of a sudden turns into the greatest, most promising, most exciting moment of their life. Because now, Jesus is standing before them alive and well. And now, if they were going to talk about it, as many do, the time in which we live, they would go from saying, oh, what a hard year number one is, to saying, what a wonderful year number one is. This is the greatest year ever. I mean, this is the year that we thought we'd lost everything that we had believed and hoped in, and, and yet it's the year that it was all restored. It's the year that we thought that, that Jesus must not be God, but now we realize he actually is God, and he's more powerful than we even realized. He doesn't just speak and control the wind and the sea. He actually controls his own life and death, and he can raise up himself from the dead. He is victorious over death and victorious over hell. He is greater and more powerful than what we even knew. I mean, this is an incredible thing. This is an incredible time. And all of a sudden, they have a revived anticipation. Why? Because they got their eyes on the risen savior you know what happens the circumstances of life come and we start looking at the circumstances if we're not careful and all of a sudden people say well how are you today and we'll say things like well under the circumstances i'm doing pretty good but you know if you're a christian the question is what are you doing under there why are you living under there? Don't live under the circumstances. We can rise up on wings as eagles. We can soar above the circumstance, not because of who we are, but because we wait on God. And they that wait on God shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We don't have to live under the circumstance, but when our eyes get on the circumstance, we're in trouble. And all of a sudden, we start going, oh, it's so hard, and oh, it's so difficult, and oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this year. And all of a sudden, the anticipation of the future is completely destroyed. But then we step back and we say, you know, I've got to get my eyes off the circumstance. I'm just going to get my eyes back on the risen Savior, the one who's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of heaven, the Lord of glory. The one who is today seated at the very right hand of the Father. And I'm going to come back and get my eyes back on him and my focus back on him. And all of a sudden we say, you know, all these things that are going on, they're really not that big of a deal. Because I know the one who's in charge of all these things. He's the one who's in control. And now we can have a revived anticipation what God might do. You know, it's very possible, I am not predicting anything, but it's very possible if the Lord were to come back before the end of this year. Wouldn't that be incredible? 
And if we could remember in heaven, and I don't think we'll be able to remember human thought processes necessarily uh, along that line, but if we could, I think we would probably walk around heaven saying this, you know, 2020 seemed like it was really a hard year. It was just such a tough year. It seemed like it was maybe one of the worst years to a lot of people. But you know what? It ended up being the best year of all. <laughs> because what happened, we would have gotten our eyes off of the momentary circumstance said it was great because I have my eyes fully on Jesus and I'm with him now. Can I say to you, it doesn't take the rapture for us to be able to keep our eyes on him and to walk with him and to talk with him. It doesn't take the rapture for us to be able to open this book and to abide in the vine and the vine and the branch. It doesn't take the rapture for us to come and say, you know what, I'm going to quit living under the circumstances. I'm going to start coming and just abiding with my Savior. And all of a sudden when that happens, then we can be hid in that secret place. That place that's under the shadow of the, of the, the Almighty, uh, that's under His wings, under His protection. And all of a sudden, all the circumstances that are out there, we're not saying, well, if the rapture happens, 2020 might become a good year. But outside of that, <laughs> what a lost cause. No. All of a sudden we can say, you know, there might be some challenges and some trials. There might be some things in our society that we don't fully understand or know exactly how it's all going to work out. But no matter what it is, and no matter what happens, and no matter what the outcome, I don't have to fear it. Because I know the risen Savior. And not only do I not have to fear it, I can look past it and say, I'm anticipating what he's going to do. I'm anticipating that God's going to bring uh, a revival. I really believe we are, are poised for revival as we've never been before in the United States of America. I really believe that right now is a time that God may do something that we're going to stand back and say it was marvelous in our eyes. Because he did that that was beyond what we expected and beyond what we could anticipate. But, but we can have a renewed and a revived anticipation because we get our eyes off of the stuff and get our eyes back on the Savior. Look at um, verses 48 and 49 really give us this. Look at verse number 48, we see the present. He says, and you're witnesses of these things. They changed in the present. And their present seemed like it was so difficult. It seemed like it was so hard. But you know what? Jesus came and he spoke about their present. And he said, in the present, in the moment, here's what's happening. You're having an opportunity to witness the risen Savior. This is something you're getting to be eyewitnesses of. This isn't a bad thing, a hard thing. This is a blessing, and it's a good thing. And so he brings some perspective to their present that this is a, uh, a, a very exciting time. So we see the excitement of the present. Then verse number 49, he says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the anticipation of the future. What's the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is the sending of the Comforter. So he's saying, look, uh, in the present, you can be excited because you're getting to be eyewitnesses of the working and the moving of God and the resurrected Savior. You're getting to see as eyewitnesses that which no one else is going to get to, that which others will long to. You're seeing it as an eyewitness. Don't look at this as a bad thing and a hard year or a tough time. No, no, no. This is a blessing for you to be a part of. And so he gives perspective to the moment and he says there should be excitement about the present because you are eyewitnesses of the risen Savior. 
But not only is there the excitement of the moment, there's the anticipation of the future because there are the promises of God. And the promise for them is the comforter is coming. The problem for, uh, or the, the uh, promise for us is that the Savior is coming. The promise for us is one day in the twinkling of an eye, we're out of here. And so we have a promise we're looking forward to. And we have an anticipation of the future. That day may come. And it may be in our lifetime. And praise the Lord for it. But you know what? We don't have to wait till there. We can have the excitement of now. The excitement of the moment. We get eyewitnesses of God working and moving in our church, in our culture, in our time. Just like they got to be eyewitnesses of what he did then. And so we should be excited about the present. And anticipating the, the wonders of the future, the promises that God will fulfill. I see here this morning a revealed truth. I see a rejuvenated excitement. I see a revived anticipation. They've got their eyes on the Savior instead of on the circumstances once again. And I'll close with this thought. I see a renewed worship. This is really what it all drives to. This is really the end point of the whole thing. Because as they got their eyes back on the resurrected Savior, the goal is not so they feel better. The goal is not, oh, well, I feel happier because now I'm looking at him instead of my circumstance. No, no, the goal was never their feelings. The goal is that God would be glorified, and that happens when there's a renewed worship. So worship was really the goal. Their worship here is genuine. It's not just some uh, thing that they're doing for show. They're not putting on a show of worship. No, 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 they're truly genuinely worshiping the Savior. Their joy was great. Uh, they are uh, here in a great anticipation, a great joy. Uh, can you imagine watching him rise back up into the sky to go be seated at the right hand of the Father, promising that, go wait in Jerusalem, I'm sending the Spirit. And, and all this is coming, and they know we're going to get to spend the rest of our life serving him. So their worship, it was genuine. Their joy, it was great. And their praise was glorious. How could they not be filled with genuine, great, and glorious praise for the risen Savior? And can I say to you this morning, how can we not be filled with genuine, great, glorious praise for that same risen Savior whom we serve? Maybe today you say, Pastor, it's kind of hard. I'm going through some challenges and some trials and there's some difficulties and and what do I do in the middle of all that? Take your eyes off of those circumstances and shift them back onto the risen Savior. Say, I'm going to serve him anticipating what he may do in the future. And I'm going to make sure that I'm worshiping him in the present, excited about what he's allowing me to be a part of. And I'm going to move forward in worship of my God. Here's the outcome. It caused them to be regularly in church. Go into Acts, you see that. It caused them to preach the gospel everywhere they went. All through the book of Acts, that's what's happening. Number three, it caused them to be willing to suffer with and for Christ throughout their life. It caused everything about their lives to completely change. Yet, they changed everything willingly, gladly, and with great joy because they were rejoicing in the risen Savior. Maybe today you say, you know, I'm struggling just to be be faithful and be consistent and, and I'm trying to do all the things that you're supposed to do in the Christian life. You know, you can do some of the things of the Christian life out of duty for a little bit, but it won't last very long. The reality is we've got to say, I'm not just going to work at living the Christian life. Rather, I'm going to come and I'm going to start worshiping the risen Savior. And I'm going to so have a relationship with him that the vine abides in the branch and the branch in the vine. And because of the relationship, 
But then I have a desire to do that which pleases him. I have a desire to live sold out for the risen Savior. My joy is renewed. My zeal is real. I have an anticipation of the future. All those things. But it really all comes back to my focus is on him and I'm worshiping him on a regular basis. So let me ask you this morning, is your focus on Jesus as we walk through this year? Is your focus on the risen Savior? Uh, are you staying in a place where it's not just trying to do the outer works of the Christian life, but from a heart that you're truly in a place of worship for the Savior? And if not, let me encourage you, come back today this morning. Maybe you just need to come to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I've gotten too focused on all the circumstances and the stuff and life and the challenges and the difficulties. And I need to get my eyes off of all that. I need to quit worrying about masks and quit worrying about uh, laws and quit worrying about all these other things, the politics and worrying about, and and I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention, that we shouldn't vote, that we shouldn't, but I'm going to quit worrying about those things because you've said be careful for nothing. Lord, I'm just going to come back and I'm going to make my focus the worship of the Savior. And that's where I'm going to spend my time and that's where my focus will be. And then out of that, everything else can flow. Maybe this morning you just need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me to come back to that place of true worship? Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I don't know if I were to die if I'd go to heaven. I mean, you've talked about knowing you're saved and you've, you've talked about having this relationship with God and, and being able to worship him in this kind of a manner. But, but the reality is I don't really know how to do that. And I don't really know that I've ever had an encounter with the risen Savior. A time where I understood that I was a sinner and that I understood he was the only hope of salvation and trusted him alone to be my Savior. I, I don't know if I've ever had that. But maybe you say, Pastor, I'd like to. I'd like to know that heaven would be my eternal home. I'd like to have a personal relationship with this Savior you're talking about, the one who rose from the dead, who is God himself. This morning, I'd, I'd love to have that kind of a relationship. And we would love to be able to take the Bible and tell you not what a Baptist church says, but tell you what the Bible says about how to know Jesus is your Savior. We'd love to be able to show that to you this morning. And so whatever it is that's your need today, won't you respond to the Lord? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.